Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. And welcome to Trad Cafe with Neil Perlman, because this is another trad music podcast crossover episode. Haven't done one in a little while. While we're playing the first tune, please go to whatever app you're using to listen to this episode right now and search for Trad Cafe, all one word and subscribe. Lots of great interviews. It's a great way to dip into some non-old-time material, although old-time music is represented on the show and bluegrass and things like that. Uh, go listen to the Maddie Whitler episode. She was on Neil's podcast as well as mine. So subscribe now before you forget. We recorded this at my home in Portland, Oregon a couple weeks ago while Neil was here on tour. Stick around afterwards to hear how to keep up with this week's guest, but first, here's my interview and jam with Neil Perlman. Enjoy. Thank you. 
this is gonna be fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we're doing this. Yeah, me too. Neil Perlman, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. <laughs> Cameron DeWitt, welcome to Trout Cafe. <laughs> yes, I got it in first. Neil yes. Perlman. Um, I uh, <laughs> sped across your name. Um, <clears throat> so, you have a Trad Music podcast. And so do you. I have a Trad Music podcast. It seemed like the most efficient thing for us to both podcast at each other at the same time. Yes. Okay. Simultaneous yeah. casting. <laughs> <laughs> a mutual podcasting, a mutual interview. So uh, we'll just sort of interview Russell and see who can interview the other the most. And uh, see oh, I didn't realize. Yeah. We were, we were <laughs> oh, this would be adversarial. So, so we got to have like a chess clock <laughs> yeah. going, and we'll just like hit the timer, see which time goes down first. <laughs> who has the most incisive gotcha questions? Right. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> I do have a list. Okay. Great. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Um, well, you got in the intro first, so I'll get in the first question. Um, so, how did you get into traditional music to old time music, banjo? Yeah, so I had so many opportunities to get into it from a pretty like early age. And I just kept saying no. I just like wanted to like play my indie folk music or like listen to Sufjan Stevens or, uh, yeah. So you played a lot of music before. Yeah, I did classical piano growing up. Really? Uh, I never played any trad music on it. Um, I kind of want to get back into it. And I'll probably yeah. ask you questions about that in a little <laughs> sure, but I'll yeah. wait my turn. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and I, you know, I played in, <laughs> I had like a Christian emo band in high school. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I mentioned that on the show before. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I just recently found those old CDs and unfortunately they still work so oh, the, yeah. the, the music's there uh, so people can check that try to find that uh yeah i don't know if it's online anywhere but i have the cds okay sell it to the highest bidder <laughs> where, where was it that you grew up i i grew up here in portland and uh we're in portland oregon at yes. the moment not right. your portland right. uh and in hillsborough which is a suburb of, of portland yeah all right but i you know i had a lot of you know like a lot of traditional or trad adjacent music. Uh, I mean, my my grandparents on my dad's side are from from Oklahoma, and they loved like Southern country gospel music, and would listen to that all the time, and taught me a lot of old hymns. And then I was always around like Bill Jolliffe. Um, people might know him as Jacob Jolliffe's dad, um, <laughs> but like he he was in the in the Quaker community, which I grew up in out here. Oh, right. Um, okay. And, you know, he would every once in a while come to my meeting and, you know, play his like uh, heretical songs. <laughs> and uh, we're the type of Quaker where you can have heretics, <laughs> um, you know, and he would uh, sing his political stuff and mm. uh, and play the banjo and play claw hammer and play, uh, play guitar and play three finger. So like it was always around me. And then I like... I I studied with him, like studied poetry with him at, at uh, the university that he professes at. Right. And, uh, you know, and he would, you know, be like, hey, I made you a mix CD. Here's some Dwight Diller. Oh, and cool. I'd be like, that's fine. You know, whatever. <laughs> and I would listen to it once. And then it'd be uh -huh. like, I want to play uh, this other music that feels more relevant to me. And, you know, but I didn't really get into playing traditional music until... Um, former guest of the show, hopefully future guest of the show, uh, Stephen Landis 
and I were in this like songwriters band. He's a fiddler and he said, let's play tunes after practice. And I said, I don't know any tunes. And he said, that's stupid. We should play tunes. You should play <laughs> tunes. You're a clawhammer player. Right. I was just appropriating it for my own songwriting and for mm-hmm. other things like that. And yeah, so he kind of led me down that path. And then by the time I went to Clifftop for the first time, I was like, oh, ah, okay. Right. Like this is actually how I'm going to spend most of my musical life is playing traditional music, specifically old time music. It's probably not a good thing to admit on an old time music podcast, but um, I've never been to Clifftop, but I've heard pretty amazing things. You know, I I think it's hard to get one of these out there. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I guess, I mean, people set up whole campsites and stuff, right? So you could maybe just like park yourself somewhere with a a piano and just... Aaron Allwell, who you probably... Maybe you know. Do you know no, Aaron Allwell? I don't think so. Do you know Matthew Allwell? Maybe. Maybe? Okay. Um, well, Aaron famously has the piano bus. Oh, he, okay. He drives it all the way down to the bottom of the swamp, gets oh, yeah. it stuck down there and plays a bunch of piano, plays, you know, some clandestine Irish music and stuff and cool. at Clifftop. So you okay. could just go take over his piano and I'm sure he would be tickled pink. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to check it out sometime because it really does sound like a transformative time yeah i think so yeah yeah um that's funny the piano bus i there's a there's a great old like kind of legend of new england fiddle music that i kind of knew a bit um growing up at main fiddle camp bob mcquellen who had an old ice cream truck that he had bolted a piano down in the back of and he'd just drive it everywhere (laughs) (laughs) i gotta become one of those people when i get older yeah there's no like uh, no turkey in the straw playing on the speakers. Just someone playing it on the piano. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was a character for sure. It's oh, a good idea. Have you thought about investing in a piano bus? Yeah. Well, I mean, do you have a piano bus already? <laughs> no, unfortunately. But if anyone, I mean, in, I, I don't have a lot to invest in anything right now. And <laughs> sure. if, so if anyone wants to uh, contribute to the piano bus fund, okay, hit great. me up. Patreon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Track Cafe Patreon. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's one of the stretch goals. <laughs> right. So you stopped playing piano um, when as you got farther into banjo or... Yeah. Yeah. I, I was having a bunch of uh, back issues with the piano. I think Hmm. from a combination of, um, you know, playing classical music and trying to read Prokofiev, you know, and like leaning in and hunching over and not thinking about my body and just thinking about, you know, the page, kind of not wanting to do classical piano anymore anyway, but (laughs) I was at the time trying to double major in it. And, uh, you know, I think that exacerbated the... Sure. It's hard to be like embodied when you don't want to be doing what you're doing anyway. <laughs> you <Yep. know>? Yeah. <laughs> to and do it sustainably. I mean, physical injuries will really, really yeah. shape things like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, maybe it would have happened regardless of, you know, my enthusiasm, but, um, uh, but it, it couldn't have helped. You know, I think I was made, there was maybe a, a touch of self-sabotage <laughs> in there. Um, yeah. But I also, you know, I wasn't really exposed to like, piano as an instrument that wasn't um either this like technician like solo all the focus is on you Mm -hmm. instrument where you have to like spend most of your days just alone in a practice room you know 
uh, either that or just a total service instrument where you're only serving everyone. You know, like I, I didn't get to see a lot of the in between, like, you know, music making collaboration, you know, that kind of piano music. Yeah. And I think if I did, I would have. You would have played it. Yeah, I think yeah. I would have played it more. And I, you know, I mean, I just got this tuned for the first time in a long time and yeah. have a house that I want to invite people over to. So I might try to get back into it. I've been wanting to learn Hobart Smith's piano, yeah. piano tunes and yeah. Cool. Yeah. So maybe. That, yeah. yeah. I hope you do. We, we need more people playing piano and info music. It's yeah. not, not, not the most common thing right now. Let's, let's play another tune and then I'm going to ask you some similar questions. All right. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any... Old time tunes. Yeah, it doesn't have to be an old time tune. Although my, uh, you know, the farther away it gets from old time, the more it might take for yeah. me to climb it. You know, I mean, we can try. Yes. Don't there, throw a jig at me. No, I won't do that <laughs> unless there's one you know and you want to play. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely. I can talk about when we talk. Like, I think a lot of the crossover point for us will be the stuff I did. Like main fiddle camp, the kind of New England. Oh yeah, sure. New England tunes there, but there's also a pretty heavy old time okay. scene there, and yeah. so I've picked up tunes there. Yeah, I know some of those folks. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So some of that repertoire might be okay. there. Things like Brushy Run, maybe that's a common tune everywhere. Oh um, yeah. Or um, there's a tune. I don't know if you. I don't know how to, how I feel about playing it based off the title anymore. It's oh, like, um, interesting. Do you like? Boothshot Lincoln is a tune that I really like, but I'm I'm, I'm curious. It's a very happy tune. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Well, see, here's some more inter interview content then. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, from I've heard that the original that the like oldest source that we have for this tune yeah. is just called Booth, not Boothshot Lincoln. Okay. It's from Marcus Martin. Uh. And I know that there are words that people sing and I would love for people to write in about this. My impression is that, um, that's like revival lyrics that were added on top of this melody and that it's originally just a fiddle melody. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's a minstrel, you know, right. song, right. you know, but like, I don't know. I think it, I think I have, it more or less right. P please, I love being disabused of my <laughs> my <laughs> notions. <laughs> what yeah. if people can do it? Yeah, you know. So uh, okay, you know, interesting. People write in. Uh, and also, old time music is totally fraught, and the you know sad songs sound happy, and the happy songs sound sad. Right, like the Celtic music that I. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, you got to wallow in the. I say, <laughs> let's play Booth. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
playing piano in trad music contexts? Yeah, I did. Um, I grew up in a family that, that, like Scottish music and dance family. Okay. So, yeah. um, how so, how yeah. big of a family are you talking about? Um, well, I'm the oldest of three. Yeah. Um, and yeah, my dad's a fiddle player. My mom's a dancer. Mm. Um, so... And, and like when I was growing up, especially like when I was really young, um, I was born in the Boston area and my parents were both kind of involved in organizing a lot of kind of Scottish arts events, fiddle music and dance events and things, organizing and being part of those in the Boston area. My dad sort of co-founded the uh, Boston Scottish Fiddle Club um, and did that sort of before I was born. Uh, so when I was growing up, there were a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on with that music and sort of tradition um around the house and things the the fiddle club for a while did um this annual fiddle rally concert that dad would bring in um a couple soloists like featured soloists someone from cape breton and someone from scotland across to do these annual concerts and so i have some pretty early memories of like you know uh players like Ali Bain being like being put up in our house when I was like two years old or three years old and like a, an after party session there and me being taken off to bed during that. So like I kind of grew up aware of like that music was kind of in, yeah. in the background the yeah. whole time with what I was doing. And I just uh, like, so music was something that I sort of um, took for granted in a way, um, but yeah. loved. You know? Okay. I was going to ask, did, did we like this music yeah. growing up uh, or is it just like mom and dad's music? Well, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing. I, um, I certainly, I don't think that I had a rebellion that you see some kids have about like, if mom and dad play music, like I kind of hate music. Right. Um, it's taking them I'm, away I'm a from STEM me. Kid. Is this other thing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Like, I definitely didn't have that. And I did love it and, um, do still, of course. Um, uh, and I guess like, yeah, I started playing piano very young. I started playing piano when I was four just because we had a piano in the house and um, a couple of friends of mine who were five years old had just started piano lessons. And I, you know, music was something all around me that seemed to be the source of fun and partying. And um, 
so I, I was four and my friends who were five had started and I asked my mom if anyone ever started playing piano when they were four years old. And so she was like, okay, I'm going yeah. <laughs> to show you a couple of things. But even yeah. then, like I started learning by ear. It wasn't like we sat down and started learning yeah. in a formalized way. She just kind of showed me, you know, some of the early melodies that you learn like hot cross buns or whatever right. on the piano. And we made a little music book that was actually more of an art project. Like I just would make an illustration that represented the tune. That, and so like a picture of some hot cross buns that I like made a made had as an art project and then like that was in my binder and you could turn to that page and then I would play and that. That tune, would like so. trigger your memory yeah. of how that's that's yeah. amazing. So that was kind of like my <laughs> yeah. mom's my mom's whole yeah. invention. And I think it was pretty genius actually wow. when I think about it as a yeah. teaching tool. But so I did engage with music as a um list like as a community thing and as a um more like by ear oral thing language almost um before i engage with it as in the kind of like learning technique and shoot music sort of thing yeah and i think that's definitely shaped how i how i interact with music yeah i don't know that many people i mean it's partly the circles that i run in you know like old time it's hard to find old time piano players in the first place mm -hmm. uh but i don't know that many people who started playing trad on the piano. Yeah. I know a lot of people who started playing trad on the fiddle or the banjo mm -hmm. or the guitar, uh, yeah. especially guitar, um, but not this. Usually it's like I was playing Bach, you mm -hmm. know, I was, yeah. I was working my way through the preludes and fugues, yeah. you know, and then I was saved by trad or whatever. That's often the narrative, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, as far as like exact chronology and things, you know, like, as I say, maybe learned these early beginning melodies on the piano. Then maybe then I did start some piano lessons, and that was not trad music. But I was around it. I I I started doing Scottish style dance with my like my mom taught me to dance much soon earlier. Like she started yeah. teaching me to dance when I was three years old. So like the tr traditional dance and music was something I was doing the whole time. The first time I played like traditional like trad music on the piano myself was you know, like a little bit later. I was still pretty young though. It was like um, nine or 10 or something like that, that I started to get, my, my dad sort of sat me down and said, here's how you play like boom chick one, four, five. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, uh, to a couple of tunes and um, that's, so, so it did start young as its own thing, but I, I guess I, I technically played not trad on the piano first, but it, it, yeah, it's just something I grew up around for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, which I value a lot, you know? Yeah. I love, uh, that you didn't necessarily have some sort of like conversion experience. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate that. Uh, I was talking to, uh, a guest of the show recently, Jonathan Vokey, and he's talking about his time, like studying music in India and mm. how like they don't necessarily have those kind of binaries of like, are you classical or folk? It's like all yeah. kind of together. And it's like, oh yeah, everyone, you know, like learns their scales and also understands that the scales don't matter and the musicality matters, you know? And it's yeah. like both and it's like integrated. And I feel like sometimes uh, people get protective. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's especially in the States. I don't know <laughs> about those, about those boundaries. <laughs> yeah, there are definitely, I could talk more about that too, but yeah. I, I think, um, I definitely had to navigate those boundaries, but it, in a way I sort of discovered them a little bit later. Um, yeah. 
because I was homeschooled for a chunk of my childhood. Um, and then when I did go to public school is sort of when I maybe discovered those boundaries a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, I, I fell in love with jazz piano as a, at, a, at a really young age too. My first piano teacher that wasn't my mom, like who I had when I was six, she played jazz piano. And at our first recital, she like finished the recital by having her like, um, bassist and drummer get up and playing some jazz piano for the kids and yeah. i just like was totally enthralled and yeah. like from that moment i loved jazz and my parents tried to encourage that but that wasn't something that was played in the house so i already i started to even as a homeschooler like have this oh i want to learn about jazz this is this other thing i i don't the music i don't have naturally getting played in the house putting on recordings or whatever but i need to go out of the house to learn it yeah and i really pursued that further when i went into public school in high school there was a i was lucky to have a great jazz program there but it really there did start to become this separation for me for a little while yeah. as a teenager of like i'm into jazz piano my family plays this other stuff and i'm gonna right. do that and i like that too and i'm gonna go out and work on jazz and that, that was kind the of, closest you got to some sort of rebellion exactly but it was just like a uh congenial differentiation i know right? and it even wasn't that much of a rebellion because my like at that point i was starting to play in a family band the fam like my parents would put together a bit of a family band yeah. and um and my dad would just encourage me to bring like jazz ideas into like yeah. accompanying him so he wasn't really that much of a rebellion anyway. yeah i love that. <laughs> even <laughs> if he, he wanted like, it to with me, it. <laughs> he'd be like yeah do it. yeah <laughs> but but I do think in my head there was still this differentiation and I like I was going to go do jazz piano as a uh, like in college and that was my thing and yeah. it wasn't until I left there were like a couple of things that happened like I left um left home and went off to like New York City to play jazz piano and like um realized that there wasn't much for Scottish fiddle music around me there and there was something missing for me musically and yeah. I felt a little bit sort of at sea in this like you know, <laughs> thousands of young aspiring jazz pianists yeah. who are all just trying to play jazz piano. And yeah. like, I felt a little bit at sea in that and also missed this other part of my musical life right. uh, a little bit in a way that I hadn't noticed before. Um, hmm. And then like the summer after that, I went to a fiddle camp for the first time. Um, like the summer before that, I went to a, like traditional music camp for the first time. I went to Class Canada for like Yiddish oh, yeah. Yiddish culture and music and that was like a really amazing experience for me um like for my jewish life but then like the next summer i like went to main fiddle camp for the first time mm. so i was kind of late as far as some people who go to fiddle camps and go as kids and grow up i didn't go as a young kid but i went to main fiddle camp and that's where i actually met a bunch of teenagers who were playing fiddle music and i realized that the thing that i had learned to do and do well enough to perform professionally with my parents and whatever yeah. but did only with my parents like i had this musical skill that was separate from all the jazz stuff that i could do with my peers and that was a big moment yeah because i guess your peers your musical peers before that were a lot of just jazz folks uh yeah. jazz kids and maybe you maybe a lot of your like trad music friends were more like friends of your parents that's exactly yeah, right like yeah. you know they they had a whole scene and i i knew who they were and that, that was like my parents world right. and i i enjoyed being a part of it but i didn't have my own to get to be your situation with world it. yeah until i actually yeah. met some people that i was hmm. excited to be friends with who i could play that music with and that sort of opened my eyes in a way so i went back to college for my, my second year at college i started i kind of went back in with a different mindset that like i have 
I sort of realized that I had this whole side of my musical self that that could be that should be part of my musical voice and I shouldn't just go off and do jazz piano as just its own thing and that's kind of how I ended up reaching what I do now yeah maybe we should play another tune and then maybe we can like talk about the attempt to thread the needle yeah of being an individual or having you know not trying to completely code switch in every single situation that we're in, but trying yeah. to be an integrated musician in yeah. all these situations. That's a great subject. Yeah. I love to talk great. about that. <laughs> yeah. um, what should we play next? Hmm. I guess you're talking about code switching. There's a, there's always the, with a, with a repertoire that is less your, not, not as much of your main thing. Like, I guess there's, it's common to feel a little anxious about like, did the tunes I know, are they just like the, most standard overplayed tunes ever. I don't need to do that, but um, I don't know. Like, you know what? A lot of people play Booth, um, and I don't know anyone who's tired of playing Booth. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, just yeah. that for a reason. Right. Is Winder Slide a really common tune? Oh, you know what? No. I did it kind of recently on the show, That's but fine, but but not with. Well, sure. <laughs> you know, like I, I mean, there's plenty of things we can do, though. Okay, you okay, know, I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure. Like, if there's a tune that you did, you say br brushy run? Is that what you said? Yeah, I don't think that's been done it recently on the show. Can you yeah. remind me how that goes um, real quick? What keys it in? It's A. It's I mean, it's in the sort of vibe category of Booth Chat Lincoln. But, um, uh, 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 I'm thinking of the B part. Yeah, let's do that. That's great. Great, nice. Yeah, perfect. Oh, I love how many old time tunes you know. This is so great. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Awesome. What a treat. Okay. Do you want to kick this one? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. 
<laughs> I was like, oh, we should have to do one more. All right, sorry. <laughs> uh, cool. This is great. I, I, I just never get to hear fiddle melodies on, on piano. Is that how often do piano players in, in your world play the line and not just the backup? Um, really where I get that from is Cape Breton. People do it in Cape Breton. Yeah. Um, like all the time for every tune. Is it expected or not necessarily? And it, it depends on the player. There are certain players who are really known for it. Okay. Um, and there are certain players who never do it. Um, the ones who are kind of known for it also tend to be comfortable playing solo sometimes. And that, that'll happen every now and then. Yeah. Um, to like play a set of tunes of solo on the piano in the middle of some event or whatever. Yeah. Where they're otherwise accompanying fiddlers. Mm. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, the classic guy is Doug McPhee, who died recently. Um, and he's sort of like, that's one of his big um, innovations as far as like how much he brought melody playing into the piano. Um, in Cape Breton, and there's like a lot of he he really does double the fiddle player quite a lot when you in, in a lot of his playing. But um, uh, I would say um, I don't know how nerdy you like to get on here, but let's like get, let's go for as it. As far as like yeah. specific references, yeah. like I'd say the pianists who like have influenced my melody playing the most are Mac Morin and um, and John Morris Rankin. Um, also Cape Breton. Yeah, they're both. Yeah, as far as the Cape pianists, Breton thing goes, yeah. I would say like, yeah, my melody playing on the piano is the most influenced by Cape Breton players. My style is, it has other influences as well yeah. overall, but like the Cape Breton style is a big influence on, on me and definitely on my <clears throat> melody playing. Um, hmm. So I'm curious in your other trad music contexts, how do people feel about melody playing on the piano is it is it novel or do they like try to like police your like version of the <laughs> melody and then also like as we're talking about like um you know being an integrated musician mm -hmm. i'm also curious about when you're playing jazz some of the feels of some of this kind of music to to my ignorant understanding are like antithetical, <laughs> especially like rhythmically, yeah. you know, like to jazz, but also like some of the voicings and stuff. And I'm wondering how, when you're in those settings, like how much of trad music piano or non-jazz trad music piano, because that's trad music too, like how much of that you let uh, creep in and how you go about doing that. I think that's, that is a lot of stuff to talk it's about. It's a lot there. of stuff to talk about. You pick um, and choose how you want to address that. <laughs> I, like it's all very interesting. So I, uh, I could, I, Jump, jump into all of it. I guess um, the first thing you were asking about is how in trad music contexts. Outside of Cape Breton melody playing, do they like it? Yeah, I mean, it's a funny, for me at the moment, um, I'm less and less interested, honestly, in, um, in what other people think about like how I'm playing trad music. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm becoming less and less, like it's just, um, I do think you mentioned earlier something about like maybe certain people getting more caught up on certain things in America and maybe it's just cause I'm American. So I have more of these conversations here, but I do feel like there's often more conversations as someone who plays, I'm more playing traditional music that is associated with another place. Yeah. Um, I think people in America can get certain populations in America can get very, uh, caught up in like their immigrant history 
and that can and their connection to another place and that can feed a certain attachment to like is this authentic right in a way that uh is not that interesting to me Uh um you know uh and i think is limiting and so um in a certain way i don't really i just seek out playing playing with the musicians who I like to play with, who like what I do. And so I'm not too worried about the policing, but I also have been lucky not to have much policing of the way I play, which is nice. I, I, I feel like that's a lucky situation, privileged situation for me to have found myself in that people tend to just be like, yeah, do what you like to do. I'm sort of talking around your question though. And as far as like actually how people think about the melodic yeah. playing on the piano, um, in the traditions I mostly am playing and I'm mostly playing in, as we said, Cape Breton. I play a lot of uh, New England music as well, like playing for contra dances was something I did. I don't do so much these days, but I did a lot of. Mm. Um, and that scene is very kind of open-ended as right. far as like whatever you're bringing to the table to do with to do with this music is, is well, great. It's the right amount of bars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, well, it's actually a big split in the contra dance scene. There's the, okay. there's the side, there's like modern contra dancing, which is its own... Thing. people are writing a bunch of new complicated dances and um the music is like all over the place in terms of influences yeah. and then there's like the traditional new england scene which yeah. um which i learned a lot from some of like this there's this old piano player who runs the main fiddle camp called doug Pratzik, and i um i learned a lot from him as far as like he did police me a bit like when i played for dances there he was you know he would get like very specific about like well you know I really think like you should play the, you know, play one beat of the four chord there and go back to the one chord right there. It was like all like mostly one, four, five, a couple of jazz chords, like that sort of thing. Super old school, but like it was much more like tone it down and do this. And I sort of, I found that an interesting challenge for me to like, just learn, like, how do I play in the style that works for him? Because that's a great way to learn. But as far as, and in that context, I wouldn't throw too much melody playing in. But honestly, people just seem to be interested and excited if a melody pops out in the piano. And people don't really police my version of the melody either because it's such an, it's a less expected thing. So if I play something wrong and I just sort of go with the flow and make it into a variation, people just are like, oh, that was a cool thing to throw in that time through. Yeah. You know, yeah. I try not to play melody over the top all the time. Yeah. You know, I just like if I'm inspired to throw it in one round through as a way to amp things up. Yeah. I like to do it. Yeah. That was, that was a long answer. Sorry. Oh no, (laughs) I want long answers. I'm curious about the jazz question um, and -hmm. how much you let that in. But before we get to that, can you talk a little bit about how to, how one approaches uh, like a fiddle melody on, on the piano? Yeah, sure. Especially in Cape Breton context, but also how you, how you approach it. Like, which notes do you leave out and how, what are the like pianistic things? Sure. Yeah. Sure. And I realized I I sort of stopped halfway through because I was going a long time, but I I mentioned like traditions I usually play in as being Cape Breton and and New England, but like really a lot of what I'm doing is in the contemporary Scottish music world. And that music world, either the version that exists in America or the version that exists in Scotland itself is very forward looking and interested in like people like coming up with new tunes and new sounds and new bands and whatever. And so I don't think there's going to be any, there's really no policing there of like, Oh, doing this idea isn't the way it would be done. Like people are just, if it sounds good, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as far as the yeah, melody on the piano goes, I think, um, what you find a lot with 
um, melody playing in, in like Scottish oriented music is often people are trying to imitate something else. So like the pipes are a very limited instrument and they have very specific things right. they do. So most, a lot of other instruments are trying to imitate what the pipes sound like. And that's yeah. kind of what creates a distinct style. Because the pipe might struggle to imitate other instruments. Right. Yeah. The pipe has its very, has its way of doing things. Yeah. And then there's Gaelic songs, which are very tied to the Gaelic language and that's own thing. And so that creates a certain phrasing and rhythm. And between those two things, I find a lot of the rest of the instruments are kind of like taking in those sounds and then trying to like regurgitate them in a certain way or like recreate them sort of on their own instrument. So um, there's a lot of like grace notes and things like a pipe, but you need to like figure out how to do it that works to your instrument. So for the pipes, in Scottish music, there's a lot of this, these like uh -huh. triple notes, right? Like, yeah. and that is technically comes from a piping grace note where they would play this. Oh, uh, okay. They just go so fast that it just sounds like, right. Um, but they're doing those notes. And so I'm not going to do that. Yeah. That would be crazy um, for you to right. do that on the piano. Yeah. <laughs> and the fiddle doesn't do that. Fiddlers yeah. do it with their bow, Yeah. you know, mostly, maybe occasionally yeah. a grace note, but it's not the same grace notes. Um, so there's like, some of these things are grace notes that you apply in different ways. So on the piano, I find there's a lot of, um, these, um, these double stops as I go through a, a, a pentatonic scale, like hitting a higher note, which it's like the little Vince Guaraldi shapes. Yeah. Like yeah, it's totally. like Charlie Brown Christmas. Yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah, cool. Exactly. Yeah. That, that sort of shape, it, I think of it as kind of coming from open strings ringing on a fiddle, but it's not yeah. necessarily like I'm only doing the notes that would be the open right. strings. It's just getting that sound, you know? Yeah. So like there's this tune. That's the first phrase of it. And instead of doing that, I might go. So there's a couple of these just catching the open ringing strings, right? Um, and then there's, yeah, little flicks and grace notes. Just like things like that, that, that come out. Hmm. And that sort of allows me to like push my hand in a certain way, like to catch this accents more strongly is stronger than. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so it's a way to accent and all of those, a lot of those like particular shapes and patterns and ways of doing it. Kind of, uh, I have kind of, glean some of those sounds from those pianists I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, huh. And sort of been like, oh, I really like how that one sounds. I'm going to try that. Or it's just in my head and I yeah. wanted to do it. Um, and to make the transition over to jazz a little with that, like I do, I think because these are the sounds that I like um, and sort of the way I express melodies and things, mm. it definitely comes over into my jazz playing. You know, if I'm, if I'm improvising a melody, some of these ornaments and things are going to come into that melody I'm improvising. Um, yeah. And that's part of just like my voice, I guess. Yeah. Um, when you talk about, you mentioned voicings. Yeah. That's, that's honestly where I get like <laughs> a little more insecure as a musician uh -huh. because like, I know that the voicings that I'm using, I've taken jazz theory and voicings and figured out how to apply them in a palatable way to fiddle music. Sure. Um, and, but by doing so there's certain, there's certain things that are not so done in jazz that I, that I do as in like, like in a, in a jazz context, jazz piano wise, you really start to really cut out a lot of the fundamental notes, like roots and fifths of the chords and just kind of create all the textures. Um, you know, some chord like this, 
um, would be like a common thing in jazz, but like for me to play that sort of sound in a fiddle music context, I would try to keep that root in there a little bit more right. in my voicings. Right. So you kind of hear it more, but to a jazz ear, sometimes that sounds a little bit clumsy and like over overdoing the the root note because someone else has got it. And so um so I think I think it can I don't know. I I don't play a lot of totally straight ahead jazz these days. Um but it is something I try to I think about and I feel it's a thing that makes me more uncomfortable playing jazz is like trying to adjust my voicing so that I'm not doing that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I guess my my very limited understanding of like jazz piano I get, and I guess other instruments too, anything that can play multiple notes at the same time is that y'all are often doing, it's like if it's an A chord, you like basically play every note other than A yeah. or every note other than A and E, like you were saying, you That's leave right. out the fifth and it's like, it's all about the color notes yes. and none of the like actual, like, right. it's like all icing, no cake. Uh, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And, Which uh, maybe would sound <laughs> offensive to certain people, but like sounds good to no, me. No, <laughs> but I think it's I think it's valid, and I think that um, I think that it that's one thing that really is different yeah. stuff between that and, and a trad music context. Yeah, um, hmm. I have lots of thoughts on that. I get I get into when I'm teaching piano classes about like how you apply these jazz the concepts into trad music, and I just don't end up playing jazz straight ahead often enough to like really have sure work the other way. Yeah. Huh. Thanks for explaining that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad. I hope your listeners find that interesting. No, absolutely. Yeah. I think they will. Yeah. 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 Um, how much, I mean, turning it around a little bit, how much have you, um, how much do you feel like you are pulling from other, the other styles of music you played when you do play trad music? Yeah. So, I mean, I was never an expert at any style of playing music, like previous to playing old time music. Um, yeah. So I think my journey has been one of like trying to undo assumptions that I have about how music works. Mm-hmm. Like I got my theory and composition degree, you know, and like, had a lot of ideas about like the rule, the top down rules of music and how like mm-hmm. how melodies should be constructed, you know, and, and even some like non-classical like kind of ideas about like, you know, isn't it like Chick Corea who's like only play what you hear, you yeah, know, like yeah. that's like one of his rules or whatever, right. you know, and it's like in trad music, it's like, that's, that's not a rule. No, you know, it's like you're dan- you're dancing on your instrument just as often as you're singing on your instrument. Mm-hmm. You're not. As, it's not necessarily about sound. It's also about like your body, and it's yeah. about the instrument and like the physicality just as much as the the listening. And there's like things like that that like uh, you know I've had to kind of unlearn sure. and um, or recontextualize. Uh, so I think the more that I've been able to take whatever dogmas I had intentionally or unintentionally, you know, and um, sort of dethrone them. Mm-hmm. That's allowed me to find more and more pleasure in traditional sensibilities. You know, certain melodies might be, might be 
sound really clever or unearth or un- unorthodox to me, like mm-hmm. a Kentucky melody might like a fiddle melody might sound like completely like um, bizarre to me, like from like my paradigms. But then it's like, that doesn't mean that it's like bizarre in, it could be totally normative, like in a Kentucky fiddle yeah, kind of like context. And it's like, Oh yeah, this is how melodies are created. You know, like you, um, little things like, um, you know, like a pickup to a phrase, you know, I'm, I was taught that if you want to have a pickup to a phrase, you got to carve out space before mm-hmm. of the previous phrase. And it's in Kentucky. They're like, why would we do that? Let's just have more notes, right. <laughs> you know, like right. let's right. just right. have right. more beats, right. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So like it's been a lot of unlearning of the sort of, um, uh, the like hegemonic expectations of music and trying to actually learn how folk music works, whether it's flirting in a non-committal way with some of those expectations or subverting them. Uh, and sometimes it's subverting them on purpose and sometimes it's just doing its own thing that ha- and it happens to be subversive, you know? Mm-hmm. So like I've been trying to ultimately in old time music, I want to be pleasure oriented I want to play things that I like and that bring me pleasure. And I want to play things that bring other people pleasure. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no like pre-discursive pleasure to be had in music. You know, it's all completely cultural, you know? And mm-hmm. so like, because of that, being a pleasure oriented musician, it means I don't want to be missing out on pleasure that I could have. And for me, that personally coming from where I'm coming from, that looks like me understanding traditional music and trying to immerse myself in uh, in it. And to some extent to submit to it. For me, like submitting to, you know, traditional sensibilities has been really important for me in order to understand the, the pleasure that can be had in those musics. Yeah. Um, you know, and it took me a long time to try to like submit to that stuff. Like I was saying earlier, I had these like little leads for traditional music and I was like, ah, I don't want to, I want to do other stuff. Yeah. And I think I was missing out. But then ultimately, uh, I can't pretend like that is the only thing that brings me pleasure. Yeah. You know, yeah. just those, just those things, you know, and I don't want to have my, um, I don't want to have my music only have like a rhetorical agenda of upholding tradition. Right. Because I don't think that's traditional. Right. I think, (laughs) you know, I mean, maybe to some extent it is, but Mm -hmm. uh, also finding pleasure in music and in sounds and in my body and sharing that with other people. You know, I think that's also uh, very traditional. Yeah. And yeah, when, you know, people love to talk about like banjo, like people have all these ideas about what the banjo means traditionally and mm-hmm. uh, how it should be traditionally played. But when you actually listen to, you know, the revered source recordings, it's just a bunch of iconoclasts doing the thing that is the most interesting to them right. in the moment. Right. And none of them play alike, really. Like even in Round Peak, it's like Tommy Geraldine. Fred Cockrum and Wade Ward, they're all playing banjo totally differently from each mm-hmm. other. And they're contemporaries in the same tradition, yeah. you know? It's like, yeah. right. Yeah. And right. It, yeah. And it's like, yeah, none of them are, yeah. <laughs> it's 
especially, yeah, I think in the banjo world, it's uh, no one's just doing one thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, like any, you can't build a dogma out of like <laughs> out of it because it's like uh, everyone, everyone's playing is so singular mm -hmm. that it would be silly to try to project some sort of monolithic, you know, style. Right. And oftentimes, I mean, in the traditions that I know best, like there's all these individual people who totally brought an entirely different sound to the tradition, but that was a hundred years ago or 200 years ago yeah. or whatever. And now people are like, oh, well, that's just, for example, like in Scottish music, that's just a Skinner style tune uh -huh. in the Scottish tradition. Yeah. But like at the time, Skinner like doesn't sound like an, the players before him at all. Yeah. Um, his tunes were an entirely different thing and is considered part of the tradition now. But yeah. like somebody doing that now gets some pushback sometimes from certain people. Right? Yeah. Um, which I guess is the dialogue that's necessary yeah. to keep it connected. We'll see which things are canonized and yeah. become the dogma for future generations. And yeah. hopefully that will be disrupted as well. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying just makes me think of one or two things for me with my relationship to traditional music that I, I realized I said, like, I don't care so much now about like what other people yeah. are thinking. But I guess to clarify what I mean by that, I like, I really care what the people I'm playing with. Yeah, like. yeah, sure. Um, I wanna play what feels good with the people I'm playing with. I'm just not that interested in like an outside perspective's like judgment on, on how what I play fits into their vision of the music. Yeah. So like, I definitely would play with a Cape Breton fiddle player. Uh, if I'm playing with a Cape Breton fiddle player and they have like all of the like, feel like really heavy groove that a Cape Breton fiddle player has, I'm just immediately drawn to play in a more like trad Cape Breton piano style because it feels good with that style of yeah. fiddle playing. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to go to like more like funky syncopated jazz chords. It doesn't sound as good. It's just like really digging into the trad Cape Breton sound. Yeah. But that's because it feels good, not because someone else is going to tell me like it's not okay to do one right. or the other. It's not because of trying to be well behaved. You're trying to have a good time. Yeah. Sometimes having a good time means playing something really accessible and traditional. Yeah. Yeah. And and like I want the person I'm playing with as a as a collaborative musician, I want to have a conversation with them and I want I want what they're contributing yeah. to the sound to affect what I'm contributing to the sound and vice versa. Yeah. Okay, let's play one more tune, then we'll have a quick where people go to like Sure buy our stuff or subscribe to whatever. Sounds and good. then if we have time, we'll do one more. Okay. Yeah, let's great. just like pump yeah, on that. Let's do it. Um, do you play Sandy Riverbell? Maybe. I'm so bad um, with names. Thank you. 
time playing with you thank you so much neil thank you cameron this, this is great. really fun where do people time. go to listen to trad cafe and then to listen to all you have a new like piano album out yeah i yeah, came out with a, did a solo piano album there's so much we didn't talk about so much more we could talk yeah, about we'll have to do a round two oh, yeah, we will, next time i'm in portland maine <laughs> yeah i just did a solo piano album the um earlier this year and there's a lot engage with that as far as what I was talking about about engaging with the tradition traditional sound but with my own take that was an interesting project um, and I doing a bunch of things with uh, this Shetland fiddler Kevin Henderson that's what I'm in town to do now um, if we're doing plugs I'll just mention one thing that's coming up fairly soon um, it's a company in uh, New York called least of all that does these um, these interesting live to vinyl pressings that they oh, want cool. that I'm going to do one in yeah. January. So if people want, they can order one. It's basically a seven inch like single yeah, vinyl. Cool. That's, each one is pressed individually as I'm playing. So you can order some me to play something for you. So anyway, that sounds great. All that stuff is like on my, I could send out emails about that once a month or whatever, but you can find everything about what I'm doing at neilperlman.com. And if you want to check out what I'm doing with trad cafe, that's tradcafe.org. Trad Cafe, these days, it's it's a podcast um, that I put out sort of intermittently in a group of episodes as a season. And it also is like, become, I've opened it more to be a production company as well that I'm kind of, I put out some like videos and singles of collaborations oh, yeah. with people and other things through that as well. So okay. there's a Patreon for that as well. So cool. what, what about you? How do my uh, listeners? Yeah, uh, Get Up in the Cool, 
weekly old-time music podcast. It's been going for seven years and try to do it for seven more. Uh, so that's just wherever you get podcasts. Um, and then uh, Tall Poppy String Band is like my main performance project. Uh, that's an old-time trio. George Jackson, Morgan Harris, and myself. Uh, so just follow us on social media, visit our website, buy our album, that kind of stuff. Uh, and then if for the people listening who want to learn how to play Clawhammer banjo, uh, pitchforkbanjo.com or camerandoit.com and schedule a lesson with me. It's really easy to do. There's just mm-hmm. like, you can buy it without even talking to me if you want to, <laughs> or you can reach out first, whatever you want, you know, and then we'll, yeah, go from there. And I'm always teaching workshops online and workshop series and stuff like that. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. It's fun. Thank you, Neil. Let's let's play one more, and then I'll send you on your way. Great. Any uh, other fiddle camp tunes coming to the surface there? Yeah. I'm, for some reason, I'm having the having the thing where one tune that we don't want to do is the only thing I can think of. I can only think of we Spotted do, Pony. We, oh, <laughs> we could do Spotted Pony. That hasn't been done on the show for a really long time. <laughs> I quarantined it for a long time. Yeah, fair enough. But yeah, we could totally play that because I mean, <laughs> I've said no to it for a few years. Do you want to play Spotted Pony or do you not want it? <laughs> I am very happy if you have a cooler tune to play or if you want to have fun on that tune, that's cool too. <laughs> Let's just play Spotted Pony. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, do you play that in D? Usually, but it doesn't matter if you have a if you're in a different place.
Visit neilperlman.com to find out more about Neil's many projects, recordings, and tour dates. Go buy his album, Refractions, and subscribe to Trad Cafe on whatever app you're using to listen to this right now. Support this podcast at patreon.com slash getupandcool. Also link to the show notes along with links to sign up for banjo lessons with me. Then there's also pitchforkbanjo.com, my Clawhammer instructional video series, and cameradoit.com slash store where you can sign up for upcoming banjo workshops and purchase archive workshops. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to Get Up in the Cool.